0: Welcome back to Project Outsiders. If you are returning, thank you so much for your support and joining us along on our journey to improving the foster care system. For those who are new, welcome to the Foster Care Experience podcast. We are a youth-led social organization that is trying to bridge the gap between youth and care with decision-makers. We are all youth from CARE who have been pushed by our experiences to ensure we see changes to a disconnected system. In today's episode, we will be talking about what it's like being Black and in CARE. And helping us with this conversation are two youth advocates with distinct viewpoints. Kingston has been advocating for youth for over seven years. He is a transgender male and a single parent, coming from an American background, Kingston has a unique experience of not only what it means to be a Black youth in care, but also becoming a Canadian. He has been learning about another side of his Black culture, which has evolved his identity and made him more connected to his roots. Aiden is a biracial youth with an affinity for advocating for all youth, regardless of identity and culture. He has also been advocating for over seven years and uses his positive experience and care to educate others on what is possible. He is also pursuing an education in psychology at Mohawk College. I would now like to introduce to you these two beautiful humans. Welcome. So I kinda wanna ask you guys the first question. And, you know, I kind of feel like I already have a feeling of what you're going to say. Um, (laughs) You're probably going to correct me, to be honest. Um, But what has been your experience as a Black youth in care? Um,
1: Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I'll start. Um, My experience as a Black youth in care has been pretty tame like for the most part the times where i i feel like a lot of the experience that i faced was mitigated by the fact that i was fortunate enough to have a worker who cared about me and Mm. fortunate enough to have foster parents who cared about me both times like when i first moved in and when i moved into my next family like both of my foster parents cared they different types of love different types of uh caring but um they they pushed me to be better, asked me to excel. And I did that. Um, And it led to me having a very good experience in care. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time, the times where I was experiencing things that might be classified as racism, I've never cared about racism. um, Because to me, it's just like everybody faces trouble. And things that will hold them back. And if you if I focus on that, then I'ma just fall into the mud and get all caught up in that nonsense. So, so is it kind of just I'm like
0: forward. You know, you don't it's not like you don't care about racism. You just don't care like of like that I'm particular not, category
1: of trauma. I'm just not letting anything hold me back, whether it be yeah. like past trauma, past I anything. I, I don't care. I'm a I'ma be successful, I'm gonna keep pushing until I am, right? Like that's my mindset in this regard i I did when i a lot when i was a foster kid like i spoke very ill of my foster parents um but that was a lot of um anger not well there's been a lot of anger towards the system in general um Mm -hmm. and yeah there's a lot of anger to them in some sense like this it's the same anger that any kid would give their parents like their rebellious phase or the but
0: it's like on a different level when it comes to parents that's that are not actually your parents. It's like you lose a great amount of respect for them. I feel like, you know, for maybe like a lot of foster kids, um, only because of that trauma factor that comes in with like just being put into the foster care system and not really having control over the situation. I feel like that brings a lot of anger. So the person who's supposed to take care of you yeah, like a lot of youth will respect them. They have to, right? Uh, But there's almost like this internal disrespect or not disrespect, but like lack of respect that is given towards foster parents because they're not your biological parents kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I definitely had that. And and because of that, when I moved out of my foster parents' house, there was a whole blow up. It was a fiasco. I spent like, couple of couple weeks couple or month homeless and just because i was feeling righteous and stuff like that so uh self-righteous and stuff like that so um it's it's definitely something that is there and builds up but after all of that happened i realized that the way that i felt wasn't congruent with the way that i was raised it wasn't congruent with the way that they treated me Mm -hmm. um and that I, they didn't deserve what I had done in in response to my anger towards something that's a bit larger than them. Like, yeah. they had always been kind, and they they were doing their best. They had took in this kid who wasn't their own. Yeah. They had no business taking in. They could have just not been foster parents. I would have been put into mm-hmm. a situation that might have been 30 times worse than where I was. Mm-hmm. And then I might have felt like, there was racism and stuff like that, but my foster parents have always been nice and they always been accepting. I mean, they chewed me out more for being Irish than for being black. I'll be honest. You're Irish too. My last name's O'Sullivan.
0: My last name is McKenna.
1: I saw. My last
0: name's Bailey.
1: <laughs> 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 a bunch of Irish people here. Yeah,
2: a
0: lot of black I didn't Irish. know that you knew that it was um, McKenna was Irish. So I thought it's you were like Scottish. A Maybe I am Scottish. I don't know what the
1: difference Mac Mac is Scottish, but like M- Mc Mc is oh. Irish. Oh. Mac is Scottish, typically. So wait, is McMaster the- Scottish. McMaster is, is Mc
2: Irish. Yeah,
1: it's not. Oh. D- it's not explicitly Irish. It's. It's just that Irish people always went with Mc and Scottish people always went with Mac. But there's That's British people who do both. There's, like it's it's again white people are kind of a bit of a cluster in that area
0: yeah um how about you how was well i kind of had like a little bit of a um a response to your experience well not necessarily your experience but like a comment on my experience as a black kid in care um it depends on the interaction of the person you know because like my first worker who i've ever been introduced to She was chill um, and she was kind of very much just focused on my well-being, my identity and so on. And so she tried to move me into like a black foster home, but also gave me the option to move into a white foster home. And so it's kind of just like, did I want to be more connected to my roots because a black foster mom was Jamaican or did I want to, you know, just like.
1: I don't know what the other option really was. Um, I mean, maybe it was an Irish foster parent, and you might have been able to connect to those roots.
0: <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, but they were Russian. Um, okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, and so I moved in with the black foster mom, and she really set the tone in such a positive light for me. Like, but the very first foster home that I was was like crap. Not even gonna lie. It was a mark She put, like, alarms on the doors and, like, locked up the pantry and the fridge at nighttime and just, like, did a bunch of things. And she was just very hateful. She looked at kids as a paycheck. And she even communicated that, you know, Mm -hmm. to, like, one of the foster kids. And it's kind of just, like, this overwhelming issue that she's been having with everybody that walks through her doors. But she's been a foster parent for years because I don't know what it is. but, But she had disrespect still has disrespect i actually met up with my worker last weekend mm-hmm. and we talked about her she has a kid in that home right now mm-hmm. and um that her personality her attitude hasn't changed like she's still always locked me out of the house i had no way to get in especially in the winter times it drove me nuts but cas I, allows
1: that stuff to happen i know
0: and even asking her to put up a sign on the door saying i'm me and the kids are not here We're gonna be back by this time like she was fighting over something simple like that kind of thing it's just like this attitude or just i don't know this entitlement or some shit and so um, when i moved out of her house and was put into the black foster home it was a 360. she was positive she was pushing me she wanted me to be my best self and she was also an english teacher so she was very knowledgeable she would try to help me with studies but, like, we had our own conflict where, like, you know, she definitely treated me very different from her biological son who was older than me, and I respect that. But when you do things like have dinner at the dinner table and say that I can't come or whatever, like, that's, for me, it's just, like, it's so isolating, and it's just, like, you, you feel so unsafe because you feel like you're just a stranger walking around in somebody else's home, and you don't really belong there. You're not a part of the family. And She used to do that to me a lot, kind of, like, Made me do tours and her other son didn't have to, uh, you know, uh, just was very micromanaging around me and it drove me nuts because like I would want to be my best self to make her happy, but she was never happy with anything. And so, yeah, we could go and talk more about that. But, you know, I had a worker who moved me into a group home where I said I never wanted to go to a group home. She did it behind my back. And kind of like blamed me for not being able to connect with the homes. And it was just a really bad, toxic relationship. And I felt the most racism with her. And it's just, yeah.
1: So I was, not to stop you from speaking. But there's three things that I would consider the biggest blessings that I ever got. Um, One, my foster mom was a former juvenile detention center uh, worker. So she would, she was a guard in 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 Solops, in oakville uh, at a period in time and so she met a bunch of kids in care prior to her starting working in care and she heard horror story after horror story she told me all these horror stories as soon as i got there she's like yeah there's it could be way worse it was, it was like the first time. I hate that, man. It could be way worse. And she was right. But and it I was,
0: shouldn't be that bad to begin with.
1: No, it shouldn't be. And this is a lady who has always treated me with the utmost respect, always acted like I was equal. And the biggest thing that made me feel like I wasn't the same as the rest of their family was the fact that I was one black kid in an all-white family. That was the biggest oh. difference. But... Um, and that's something that I couldn't change even if I wanted to, and they couldn't change if they wanted to, right? So that was something that was beyond any of us. Yeah. Um, so the I got blessed by that. Uh, I also got blessed by the fact that my worker had my two older brothers before they had me. So when I got into care, the last thing she was doing was putting me in a, fo- in a group home. Mm-hmm. Like she knew flat out that I'd probably get into way more fights than necessary. Um, and I think the most... I think the most accurate description I've ever heard of a group home is like you put a dog, a cat or a lion, a wolf and a bunny together in the same room and you expect them to be cordial. Mm -hmm. And um, I definitely would have acted more like that lion in that situation. So Like something's going to get ate.
0: And then with a co-ed, it's a whole different story.
1: Right. And so it's just it's just things like that. And I was I was super fortunate for my worker. Um, my foster parent being who she is and then have, being able to find two really solid mentors that were able to keep pushing me uh, as male mentors because I, I for a long time didn't have a super close relationship with my foster dad um, as someone who had a broken relationship with his own father it became really hard for me to attach to other yeah. male figures but these ones were super great um, they feel a lot like family to me And so, them pushing me, them giving me their advice, um, and me being able to bounce ideas and thoughts off of them, it helped me grow and get to the point where I feel I am marginally successful. Like, I'm on the right path. (laughs) I'm not... No, we're going to be great. I'm not, like, falling into, you know, uh, I don't know, like, I could be worse off. I have siblings who are older than me and having got proceeded um in a way shape or form so like it could have been worse um it definitely could have and i was just really happy that i had those three things backing me Mm -hmm.
2: okay well i want to acknowledge how good of a partnership this is just because me and aiden actually the same worker and i feel completely opposite of how he felt about their relationship wow. so i i don't want to say that just because um i know that people will see this but um but like my worker i think she cared about me mm-hmm. i think she did put effort in you know what i mean um i just did not feel sort of like important or like acknowledged um like a lot of things that I probably caused her issues with is not things that Aiden would possibly be able to cause her issues with. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. she was always worried about like, you know, things I was doing or if I was, you know, using drugs or if, you know, me going to certain types of counseling and all this stuff and having to pay for gender identity counseling or like physical therapy, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just, I put so much more on her plate than I
1: feel like, well, I'm not going to say, I don't want to assume, but you know what I I, I didn't mean? put anything on my worker's plate. Like, re- realistically, yeah. I complained every now and then that my foster yeah. parents were treating me badly, and she'd be like, you're dumb. And yeah, I,
2: no. I, I would be like, yeah, you're pretty accurate. And also understand that I, again, that's a really good point, too. He was in a foster home, you know? I I had way group too much homes. to argue about. I was in Ooh. group homes, so every single day I'm like, 20 is- different things just happened. I need to get out of here. And she's like, no. And I called her the next day, twenty new things just happened. Get me out. She's like, No, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, we're definitely in different spots. But like yeah. when it comes to that relationship with the worker, I never felt more Unsupported and acknowledged. He got all like he, and then I think that was the reason why actually me and Aiden had some like I had a little bit of ill feelings towards him because we've mm-hmm. known each other. You know what I mean? I've always known he has had my worker. He's always known that I've had his worker. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
0: And then I, I found out
1: like, uh, four years into our friendship <laughs> that we had the same worker.
0: But, um, <laughs> did you guys have like the one worker the entire time? Or yeah, I, I, well, did. I did. Well,
2: for the majority <laughs> of the time, yeah. But um, I got three workers. My workers is like, still the same. It's kind of like that kid that um it's oh. kind of like that brother that gets treated better you know what i mean and that's how i felt how old are you
1: i'm 20 turning 21 next month <laughs>
2: yeah, you um, yeah.
1: Oh, you're older than me mm-hmm. but um
2: yeah so aiden was kind of like that brother that got treated better by mom you know what i mean like i was i was frustrated because Ooh. like he would we do advocacy work so obviously we're talking about our workers and da-da-da. he's talking about how he went out with his mm-hmm. worker and i'm like She's never taken me out, yeah. literally ever. Yeah. You know?
0: Mm-hmm. But, you know, can I I want to be real here. Because, like, for me, um, my relationship with my workers varied. It was always, well, but two, it was always positive. One, a person, I it had the potential of being good, but she completely lost my trust when she did things behind my back. Mm-hmm. And because I was very vocal, I had no shame, no nothing, wasn't feared of anything to call her out for her BS, mm. right? Oh, I have stories you don't even know, <laughs> and so, um, but the thing is that I was never like, I had never been a reason to kind of <laughs> constantly connect or contact my worker because let's be real, getting a hold of my workers always the difficulty they're always on vacation they're like all the time um i probably at the beginning yeah you, um when you're first put into care you see your worker a lot more frequently because planning cares are either every month and then mm-hmm. it goes to every three months and then every six months and um so when it got to the point where it was every six months i hardly ever spoken or saw my worker mm-hmm. right it's because like you know she never needs to see me kind of thing so mm-hmm. Um she kind of allowed me to do my thing and but when it came to other people on um, on her case, like it was just like she would be on their on their butt all the time because um I knew a lot of people who she, was also workers for you know other foster kids and one of them i actually lived in a group home with and so although she never came to see me she came to see that other youth frequently because she was always like a walling or getting into trouble or like involved in something so it was almost like that dynamic was really different and so it's just like i don't know do you think that could be one of the reasons
1: um i think if you don't mind um I didn't contact my worker much. Um, I was fortunate enough to be a youth advocate from I think my fourteenth birthday onward. Um, So I've been doing this for doing advocacy with CAS for about seven years almost. Mm. Um, And as a result, like we meet every Thursday. So if I did have something that I wanted to bring up with my worker, she's always in the back. She usually worked late. Um, So if I needed to chat with her, I send her a message through email or something. And then if I need to chat, we chatted. As I grew older, we chatted a bit more frequently. But from when I was young to even now, like I've been very, very independent. Mm-hmm. It's probably the thing that pushed me out of my foster home so early was like uh, like I had the option to stay and I was just like, nah, I don't like okay. other people's rules. I don't like other people telling me what to do. I'm, I'm leaving. And I also, I'd left. I also want to
2: include the fact that he kept...
1: Yeah. That and the, was a big, after he turned 18, he loved her. And it. the other big thing mm-hmm. is that I'm one of three of her caseloads. Uh, yeah. So, and then the other thing was all of my brothers that came into care with me, technically, they didn't come into care at the same time as me, but we all shared, shared the same worker. So, when she, if she had a problem to deal with my eldest brother or my older brother, that might also make her think, okay, well, how's Aiden doing? And then that might make her send me a message or check in on me and stuff like that. So um, the times that I'd seen... though the, the, Granted, the times that I'd seen her where I'd gone out with her, it was like we were at court
0: mm-hmm. for
1: dealing with my father. And then it was like all three of us would go out and we'd sit and chat and try not to kill each other because me and my brothers don't uh, particularly get along very well. <laughs> the older ones, anyways. Younger ones are a different story. But yeah, so like those... That me being one of three names instead of just one name, which King, like King's King, and then yeah. I'm O'Sullivan. So if she sees that, the like O'Sullivans. there's three other, or there's yeah. two other kids on the caseload that are also O'Sullivan. Mm. So that might elicit her, the, or that might make her go, oh, you know what? Let me check on the other two. Mm. Um, and my siblings were a little bit of rascals. Yeah. Um, so it's just like. You were probably like a breather for her. Yeah. Yeah, No, I I, I, I didn't do anything.
0: But I kind of understand where King's coming from because like his experience was in group homes. And so you're kind of like forced in a position where you're constantly experiencing new stimulations. Exactly. And And like um me and Mitchell, we lived in the same group home. And like for me, I was from the get go, just like this person who was determined to make sure ever since I was put into the foster care system, I was determined to not let this be my life or determine like what path I have to go on, especially with the stats that a lot of people end up homeless and all this stuff. not graduating. You know, those stats are significant. Let's be real. And I was so afraid of being homeless and broke. Just like from my childhood of being in poverty and seeing my mom struggle, mm-hmm. it was like I didn't want that for myself. So I was just like working my ass off the second I was put into care. And, and one of the reasons why, you know, I was really motivated to be put into care was because of all the benefits that you get after you turn 18 if you're a crown ward, mm-hmm. you know? And so I wanted to take advantage of that. I wanted to get into both secondary. I wanted to make sure that my path is laid out. So not only am I successful, but, like, generations, my family, I get to stop that generational trauma with me. And then mm-hmm. later I found out, that was the issue with my family. That was the issue with my childhood mm-hmm. was this whole generational trauma because of my blackness. I'm gonna be real, mm-hmm. right? I think the reason why that my mom and the majority of people in my family experience so much mental health is because you know our ancestors were slaves right yeah and I'm gonna be real <laughs> I'm gonna be real because especially because like my my last name is McKenna it's an Irish last name and I remember speaking to my uncle about this one time He was saying that our slave owners were Irish so I'm like oh shit I didn't know that like I freaked me out like oh wow so it's kind of like a part of my identity mm-hmm. and then you know I really start to do like a lot more self-evaluating and just be like Because I was in a state where I was just like, why the hell is this my life, man? Like, I keep on going through trauma after trauma. I'm trying to better myself. But it's just like, you know, (laughs) I I can't get out of this cycle. I need answers. I was having panic attacks. You know, I was just constantly in a state of stress because I wanted to better my life. But I was just confused as to why my life had to be like that to begin with. Like, why me kind of thing. And so I did like a lot of self Uh, you know, exploration kind of thing. And I found that's when I really started to listen into and look into my family. And so, you know, making that discovery of like, you know, my ancestors were slaves. And the reason why that my mom had to experience the the trauma that she went through as a child was because of the childhood that my grandmother or grandfather faced, and the childhood that they face. And so like, you know, there is a chain of mental health. There's a chain of abuse. There's a chain of trauma as being passed on to kids because of slavery. Mm-hmm. And when I found that out, it didn't hold the same weight over me. I now had a reason why. And so I was now able to do something about it, you know? And so ever since I made that self discovery thing, Bruh, I've been thriving, man. Like, I feel so good. And I'm able to look at things differently. I'm able to make my moves accordingly because I now have answers, you know? And that was the biggest thing holding me back was those answers because I was always in a state of why. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. no, I, Sorry I mean to go off that. on a little tangent there. No, sorry.
2: But, but um, I think... Can you read the question for me again? (laughs) Actually, to be honest, I have
1: another question. Uh,
2: Um, Do you think that...
1: Mind if I go off on a tangent real quick? Wait, I want to answer the first (laughs) question first. You guys... (laughs) Go back. Yeah, no. (laughs) We're
0: recording again. Okay, fantastic. But I actually have a question for you. Like, do you think that your worker was able to advocate for you as a Black kid? Like, you know, was she... Well,
2: that's what I was going to say. Like, I also feel like I, one of the problems was I was very, I was very vocal, loud. You know what I mean? I was really like, this is not right. Why? Fix it. You know what I mean? Like, I was very like, baffled by the wrongness in the system. Yeah. So I was always contacting my worker being like this needs to be fixed. I'm calling the advocates. You know what I mean? Like I am like, I'm calling the advocacy. Ooh, God,
1: calling at one point. <laughs> yeah, it's that oh like, that's a whole different useless. that's a whole different thing. And they but. still are there's some changes happening but mm-hmm.
0: but like you that in itself
1: for a long time oh. advocates office garbage. But um but that was
2: also oh. but it was still an outlet I was about to say, that was my only safe. Like yes. I knew that Like if something happened, at least I can call that number on that little white, yellow paper. Yeah. You know what at I mean? At least there
0: like... was something for our voices. The, right now, we have the Ombudsman office. It's literally nothing. And it's nothing. Mm-hmm. It had the potential to be better. And whether it was the leadership that would probably needed to change there in order to make it happen. There were some leaders in there that were great. Absolutely. So we- then what needed to happen in order for it to be... Successful and not just. It needed to wait, be wait, before you answer that. Fine.
2: <laughs> you guys are like, going yeah. off and I am One
0: question. One question.
2: No, <laughs> one at least. We gotta leave Kingston alone. <laughs> oh, anyways, mm-hmm. um, but like, I feel like as a black youth, I had lots of different needs. I was very desperate for my roots to be stuck with my roots, and that's what I was um, mentioning i feel like would be brought up in this conversation but the thing is that i came from america right i came from the hood the ghetto i was from memphis you know what i mean like i i came like i all i know is black people you know what i mean that's True. that's all there that there is around me yeah like i was literally from the, like the, the street that i lived mm-hmm. on police wouldn't come down they wait at the end of the street you Ooh, know what i mean so like they that don't kind come of neighborhood. yeah like they don't come drive-bys and shootings all that stuff is like Natural. So when I came to Oakville, when I came to Canada, and then came to Oakville
1: of all places, from the hood city in Canada. to Oakville. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> I literally of had like or was at the time PTSD the richest city in Canada it. for the past decade. It's been
0: richest. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you said most racist. No, no. richest. <laughs> um,
1: but kind of comes with the tag though.
0: But yeah. So
2: when I came to Canada, man, I've had You're like twenty-five blowout. concussions. Stop. Yeah, <laughs> I can't lose my memory. Yeah, when, um, when I when i came to oakville i feel like i had a little bit of hood ptsd like Mm -hmm. just straight up like every night i'm checking windows doors Mm -hmm. like it'll be so quiet that i got anxiety you know what i mean because there's nothing happening outside you know what i mean so um though my worker had something pretty hefty to take on because i was this very paranoid child in such a calm area you know what i mean and um I lost all my ghetto American like black American roots you know what I mean which was everything to me like that was my life that's family you know and then I um and then I discovered Jamaican food and that was insane for me like I I came to Canada I remember specifically asking him I was like why is everyone talking about Bob Marley like I literally I was like who what is this like I heard a Jamaican accent in a black me and I thought,
0: you didn't hear that before? No, in Memphis? But we're all
2: ghetto. There's no Bob Marley. There's no, no, reggae, they were, they there's no were, Jamaican. They were black American black. They weren't Caribbean. If you ask me what my background was, I tell you my background was black. I'm black. That's it. I there's no Jamaican. I don't it's, a know that. it's a big differentiation America, between black like it's said In America you're black, white or Mexican. There's no Jamaican, there's no mm. African. Whereas black, here white, there's white, and like Mexican. African there's no, blacks, there's, there's, there's not Caribbean. Irish. Black. There's no I Irish, Scottish, you're white, black or Mexican. You know what I mean? Or Asian. Yeah, well, China, Chinese, not even Asian. You know what I mean? Like that's how it is. So, it's anyways, Caribbean way to stereotype. So something. I can't, No, but that's just straight up. Like we'll have exchange, foreign exchange students. Yeah. Everyone's like, "Oh, this Chinese China kid." Man. They'll literally be from Philip, the Philippines. You know what I mean? Like all oh, this Chinese kid. So it's just, I don't know. But anyways, I came here and I found out what Jamaica was. I found out what my roots were. You know what I mean? And that was something I was desperate to learn to hold on to, and um, that was a challenge for my worker especially going into care. Um, it's things like my hair. She did not, I, I didn't feel supported when it came to my black needs as far as my hair, my skin, my literal, like, just, um, like, just the connections with black people in general, like, go, being able to go to black things, you know what I mean? Being able to go to, like, events and stuff, you know what I mean? And, I care
1: about and a big yeah, part of yeah, exactly. that might be because I didn't care. Like, that might be a huge thing in the difference between Mm -hmm, our treatment. But, um, yeah, so I
2: went into, like, treatment, and then I had this spiritual awakening, and I genuinely, like, I don't know, but I just decided it would be a beautiful time to chop my hair off and to try to, like, have this new way of viewing things or just belief system, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And maybe it helped me get a little bit of closure. Um, especially in my lack of connection with my roots, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, that was really hard for her to handle too. I got my, I never forget, I got my hair cut, I got my, all my hair chopped off at a first choice because my worker could not for the life of her, like assist me with finding a black hair cutter i got it at first choice I, first. I went in there and told them because i had to relax i told them to cut my hair to the new growth and when i tell you that these people grabbed scissors and just started ch- ch- i can show you a picture of it there's like spikes of perm hair like relaxed hair you know what i mean like poking out and stuff it gets awful oh, first choice first choice and i am black and they it it just it was just awful and from that point on i knew that when it came to my hair at that point i'm helpless literally like i have to fend for myself especially now that i've cut it off and made it more difficult for them you know what i mean because now i don't have the relaxed straight hair that you know they're used to having me complain about now i need i need picks. i need Mm, texturizers i need you know what i mean different stuff so um and then when i dreaded it it was a whole different issue and i never once got help getting my hair braided i had to depend on one very nice group home staff to braid yeah. my hair because she would never pay to get it because it's not a 20 dollars haircut you know yeah. what i mean not this I'm is like slightest. this is a 200 hundred dollar braid up
0: <laughs> and that's like one of the good things about like having black group home staff like i used to have some of my staff do my hair all the time one staff the other one one staff. um Actually, two staff, different staffs, uh, crocheted my hair. Mm -hmm. um, And then at a different group home, one of them permed it. And so it was just like, that was kind of almost like a cultural thing. Mm -hmm. Because I was somebody who would do the other kids, black kids' hair as well. Like, I'd straighten it because I I didn't know how to braid at the time. But Mm -hmm. then I learned how to braid. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of like the benefits of like our culture when we're together. We kind of like help each other out with our hair. We take care of one another kind of thing. So a big
1: difference between King and I on that is that I had no black roots from seven onward. Like mm-hmm. I was, I've been Caribbean my whole life. And when I was really young, Caribbean every year I went to Trinidad. When I was young, people thought my dad stole me because I was so pale. Um, <laughs> I didn't come out black. I promise you that much. <laughs> up until like eight years old, I was white. Um, but no, so like I was, i we up until I was seven, everything was kind of like, more root more roots in black culture but from seven onward my dad left so i didn't know i didn't care like the only thing that was black for me was i went to my auntie's uh cookout every year mm. um which was in and around Carabana time uh and that was it and i chopped my hair off i always military cut on every haircut mm. never had a problem with hair never had a problem like i didn't care about race from the jump Cause when I was growing up, my mom was white. My dad was black. They were both immigrants. Mm. So everything was just, but like my dad worked and my mom worked. So everything that I heard was just like, kind of just work. Yeah. And they did. That's what happened. And then once they split up, things kind of went to, uh, went to, went to bed on the wrong side and woke up in the very wrong side. Um, and, and we kind of. I never so what I'm saying is really like I never had that same uh root in the black experience that King had. Mm-hmm. So I never really cared about how my hair was cut. I never like I didn't everything for me was just whatever's easiest works. And I I just stuck by that. Well, we have
2: this one driver. I super depended on her. She her and She's her great. husband, I love her. Um She's great. her and her husband, anyway. No, 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 Jamaican. Um, it's and like, L, right? From Jamaican, huh? It's L, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and she's just beautiful. Like I love her, and she's always been so sweet. And like when before I even cut my hair off, like she would, she um, would always try to like go and like ask for work and be like, "Hey, I know somebody that like would do you know this child's hair. You know, can I take this person?" And I remember the biggest issue, um, really like a big problem, you know, black just culturally like. I don't know how many times I've been in a salon in somebody's house. Straight up. Like, you know what I mean? That's just, and I think that's something actually very, very, very important that I have to say on here. Like, that's the biggest thing. Like, there's so many black hairstylists that have salons in their house. But because it's not a hair salon, I was not able to go to it. You know what I mean? And it's like. She that's still nice. does hair professionally. Yeah. And she, just because she has like a, a hair dryer and stuff, you know what I mean, in her basement, her little salon set up in her basement, I can't go because it doesn't look like a first choice. Yeah, it doesn't she can't look like Afford like a, to
1: rent a booth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So or rent a chair. And then
2: that's the, that's way beyond the foster care. That's the systematic, that's affecting yeah. her business. It that's is. affecting, that's like, that's why black people are going without because of things like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it goes through something as little as just not letting a youth go out because I don't have Community time, or you know, and then on top of that, the fact that it takes so long to get my hair done, they're like, Why are you out of the house all day? You're gonna be at this strand just it's house five hours, even years. for me, who five, has short hours. Hair, it's <laughs> five hours, for yeah, me like, to get <laughs> five, five hours, five hours. Hour. that's ridiculous. Yeah, so I think that's really super problematic. Like that whole part, yeah, that's not even taken away from black families, just community in general.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna write that down because I think that's so. Actually, I don't even need to write it down. We have a recording. Mm -hmm. We're going to look back at that because I think that's something that we can try and address and fix. Mm -hmm. Um, But God, that is facts, Mm -hmm. man. It's just like when people don't understand your culture and they only been around or surrounded by one kind of culture, one kind of viewpoint, one kind of way of thinking. It's just like when a new one comes along. It's wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's not wrong. It's just you need to be more open. You mm-hmm. have to be more open minded and just think, okay, what's the reality of it? It doesn't even sometimes it doesn't even have to do with culture. It's not to do it just has to do with somebody's situation. Mm-hmm. You know? Like when it comes to like as you said, having a salon in your basement. Mm-hmm. What if they cannot rent afford to rent out an actual studio on a busy street to make business? And mm-hmm. like the whole turnaround or um investment. To have to um, put funding into that to rent out a shop on a
1: busy place, and it's even not even you're just not renting getting... out a shop; it's renting out a chair too. When you're a barber, yeah. you have to rent your chair. Rent so it every single you every have to pay single. rent for the chair. Wow. Unless so, yeah. unless you're like one into business with your partner, mm-hmm. and that person's also cutting hair, mm-hmm. um, you have to rent a chair when you work when you work as a hairstylist. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, my immediate family has a lot of friends that were hairstylists, mm-hmm. and that's the reason why I know this, but. Um, And having to rent that chair, let's say it's $300 a Mm -hmm. month and you got to put rent on that chair and you have to put rent on your house. Exactly. Exactly. It builds
0: up. And here's the thing. It's like people need to stop judging these businesses, good businesses, on like, you know the aesthetic or the house or whatever, especially when it's for startups Mm -hmm. and just judge them on their work. Do they do a good Mm -hmm. job? And that's what you should care most about, about whether you're going to invest your money or use their service kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just kind of like a a frame of mind that needs to change within our society as a whole. Um, But no, I think we as black people, we're used to that. We're used to like our moms or aunties or whatever, doing our hair in between their legs, um, mm-hmm. you know, just braiding it up inside their basement, inside a room, inside the house. Yeah. And so when we go to somebody else's house not have the same thing, it's almost like, oh, they're kind of like family. Yeah. I don't know.
2: Yeah, and um, I was going to say, I feel like that it affected my whole life. <laughs> Literally, like, just my whole, like, I can't over-exaggerate anymore. Like, just not having that sense of um, community and stuff. Like, to this day i am desperate for black friends literally like i i feel like i could have been so much more in tune with my culture and like i don't like the way sometimes caribbean people will like quiet down when they hear my voice you know what i mean like they'll be all like loud and da 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 and this just the way we naturally are you know what i mean and like and then, like the second they realize that I don't know Patois, well, I can't speak Patois. Mind you, I can understand it literally perfectly fine, but I try. I can't like speak it. I don't. You know what I mean? Like it's then it looks, and I'm obviously they don't understand the system, messed me up, and da da da. You know what I mean? But it's just to this day, I want my child to have a sense of community, and thank God his his father's family is Guyanese, like straight from Guyana, because or else he would have had no none, none none you know what i mean like that affects my life my child's life his child's life because if he doesn't have roots this is generations that it's affecting and i want to be able like i see my f- black friend like i see my black friends that have black friends hanging out and they look like they have so much fun and i'm sitting here like all my friends well the ones i did have all before i had a baby want to go like want to go to raves and Mm. And 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 Yo, you know, let I me mean like, you, your son, your
0: family over. <laughs> yeah, I'll make right. some hockey and saltfish. <laughs> exactly. Have a full eye,
2: you know. But I want to get like a black people's mm. meat for like young people. You know what I mean? And not just like relationship wise. Like I just, I'm mm. desperate for black friends, and that I, I shouldn't that shouldn't be like done. that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it shouldn't be like that.
1: And the system is fully responsible. I'm not desperate for any friends, but. Um. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> not like I've always been kind of the kid that's on the on the edge just kind of I do my own shit you do your own shit we chill it Um, and so but all my friends for the most part are white Um, which is no surprise to me I grew up in Oakville most of my (laughs) friends come from Oakville there's a high chance that they're gonna be white Um, I also didn't get along with black kids because I didn't identify as black I identified as a kid that was it I read books, watched anime, like I played basketball. So when we were playing basketball, everybody was happy. But then when I wasn't playing basketball, and it wasn't the black kids who watch anime, then I then I was out of out of things to talk with them with. So um, mm-hmm. because they all saw themselves as black, and I saw myself as just a kid. Like I didn't associate whether I was black or Irish it didn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that which is fine. So but for I me, like... I had none of those. Yeah. And um, and. Even now, like I see people and it's impossible now to make friends, right? Like I didn't go to school last year. Uh, I took a year off after taking my first year in school after taking a year off. (laughs) Um, But I didn't go to school last year because of uh, financial issues. And I realized that making friends, having been new to the city that I moved to, was impossible, Mm-hmm. It was impossible. And at the time I wasn't on like dating apps because I had a girlfriend and she, and so I, I I didn't use those, but like that's what people are using to try and find friends when they're like 24, 25 because they're no longer in school. And so it's like, wh- how do you meet people? How do you go out and make new friends? And if you're looking to make, New friends that are in your community. How do you even find that community when you're on your own? Listen, man, it's I went so to the weird. club and then COVID
2: came around, and now I'm never gonna go to the club again. I've never been a club. But, like to the club. I no, neither have I. I'm not the type of person that likes to be in an enclosed space with intoxicated people because I
1: just like, I don't like drunk people. It That's why I don't go to the out. club. I work for. I work with is, drunk people. I don't like, like them.
2: The club that I went to, it they like they had certain nights that they had like dance hall nights or like 90s nights and all that type of stuff and that's where i got to meet the black people you know what i mean that's where i was like i felt like i was like this is good like i feel nice here
0: and that's kind of like what i was kind of curious about where like i get that you don't identify as black you just identify as a person but like the whole thing that i really loved about the black community is that especially like yeah we're humans but we're humans that kind of have a little bit more in common like just like our experience growing up understanding like how um you know caribbean parents are kind of like mm-hmm. understanding our cultural food and being able to have a conversation like that is a lot you know easier to have with some people you know who has heavy experiences like that you know for some of you guys maybe you didn't experience that much of it because uh, you know you were just brought up in a different kind of family or different kind of environment right Mm -hmm. but like that's kind of one thing that you know being black that I just like personally love and get excited about and that's why the OVOV was just like such a game changer because all of us we came together and we kind of understood each other on a different level and so like you know (laughs) I I keep on I always say this because like I've spoken at like a couple of you know, um, board meetings and stuff like that to talk about OVOV, and I one thing that I always mention is like that energy in the room. It was different.
2: I I can't. I talk to. I talk. I tell people about it. Someone at a time. Sorry, I'm getting like, I'm stuttering by the emotion behind yeah. this shit. But like that, those conferences is thank you is severely what I need. Mean. Like that's what yeah. I mean. You know what I mean? And and those thing. Things like that, like I cry. Yeah, I literally I like the second I go into the room, like so many beautiful faces, so many, so much colors, so much joy, so much strength. The dances, like, yeah, the
0: everything. Ovov was the, the first time I met
1: a black worker.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
1: we had one at our agency we didn't know about. She was exactly. hiding. She was like the mythical worker. Yeah. <laughs> but, um you
2: know, see, yeah. the yeah, yeah. one yeah, know. The one that
1: came in your room woke you I up because you slept too I long. Never knew that that I existed. I literally she and was then, just in the back, and one that's day, the
2: thing. I was at the group home, and then somebody told me that the, a worker was gonna come pick me up, and I just figured that they'd be having a white worker because it's Halton. You
1: know we what had I mean? V pick us up. Yeah,
2: and um no We no, no, had I got V picked picked pick us up. up. I had, I got picked up by a
1: C. Yeah, we had V. A uh, little small small red car. We picked yeah. you up at the residence, and then we went oh to God. OVOV. Yeah. I have a great memory in long term.
0: And so, did you remember me beforehand? So yeah, I really want to hear about your experiences with OVOV, like you, you know, coming with um, your middle and the line views, <laughs> um, uh, and just like you know how you view people as black. How did that? Black conference, so that black experience was for the both of you. Yeah, like probably, I want to long... no, hear you first. No, I want to hear you first because just... you started to get like emotional. <laughs> oh,
2: like it was life changing, straight up. Like it was. It was. It was. Oh my goodness!
0: The power. I wrote things down. I'm gonna cry.
2: <sighs> I met this beautiful, beautiful girl. Oh
1: yeah, damn. <sighs>
2: I met this beautiful girl. I'm so sorry to get so emotional so quickly. Um, but yeah, OVO, whatever the fudge, um, changed my life. Um, I met this beautiful girl, her name is Brittany. Um, and she was one of the, I guess, facilitators.
0: Michelle, no, so can you grab some tissues? Facility. Little, Little sister. sister, there's like um, yeah, paper towel. I there. think
1: she was just like really outspoken because she was family with.
0: Yeah, with she was girl. um.
2: I don't want to say his name, but she was his little sister, and I loved her. She's so beautiful. She's so beautiful. And, like, the first event that we had, like, the um, I think it was Hair Story, literally. I still have the thing. Um, But what do you call it? The first event, the first black conference was where I met Brittany, and um, it was life-changing. Like, I I had never... One been able to be around so many black people at one time, and two, like, just her beauty. You know what I mean? And um, I'll never forget that because of meeting her. I still have but she gave me makes, roses. What about
0: her makes you so emotional? Oh, she's
2: so like, she was such an eccentric, like, human. You know what I mean? Like, first of all, she had this this piercing that was like right here. It was, like, her little third eye piercing, and I loved it. Um, she was also very black and she was very i think she would have had very similar issues to aiden in the sense of like not being black enough you know what i mean but she owned that shit like she you felt it you know what i mean mm-hmm. just in talking to her like
0: and she and she what into part that side. what <laughs> part of like ovov did you meet her at like in a workshop or i met her like a yeah
2: it was in a workshop actually um you attended all of them yeah of course yeah so there was this one where we had to like run around the hotel and like it was the chelsea we had to like run around and find things you know and take pictures with things or whatever uh, yeah
1: treasure
2: treasure hunt hunt or something yeah but um it was in there like in one of the groups in there and um and it was just amazing she gave me um that was like we got a lot of time to like be able to you know like meet each other and get to know each other and like she gave me these roses that to this day i have i dried them up and kept them because i told her that i'd give them back to her when obviously when i got to see her again but it never happened but um but i still have all of them and i think um that whole event was mainly beautiful because of her her and this other girl and actually i went to her funeral with that other girl that i met her with that was friends with her too. And, um, I'll never forget it. So now every time when I hear that there's a, a, conference, you know what I mean? Like just because of her, there's no reason why I wouldn't attend. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's amazing. I love it.
1: <laughs> I didn't get to know her that well. Um, I'll be honest, but from what I did get to know of her and what I know of her brother, she was very, very, very awesome. Um, mm-hmm. and like, she seemed to be a very open person, um, I was, a very, I'm always and have been a very reserved person. So I tend to not go out and chat up people and get to know them very well. But, um, I, so I didn't get to know her that well, but I could see the effect she had on people. And it was, it's pretty tremendous. And having lost her, I, yeah.
2: So the young, way, um her brother, definitely saddened Worded her death Wait. was the biggest thing. he described She's not alive no. no, she passed. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. Her brother described it as her slipping through the cracks of a broken system. Um Oh my god. She passed 2018. Um yeah, she it was um like
1: of her own doing. But and yeah. deservedly so of
0: course, of course. wow yeah. I didn't know that she, um... and that's like one thing I wanted to talk about but definitely for our different episodes mm-hmm. the amount of loss that is experienced within the foster care system but it's never talked about it's never brought up you know it's almost like you know hidden mm-hmm. because they don't want to face that guilt of not being able to prov- not properly providing what they should have mm-hmm. and like take accountability for not listening and still not listening and that's the most frustrating about it. Like even after people pass away, because of how dysfunctional. It's this not even just community. passing
1: away. It's slipping into dark territories. It's really slipping dark into dark mental health spaces. Like mm-hmm. those things we don't talk about enough. And it's part of the reason why I'm so brutally honest with everybody I meet, because yeah. like I will never see, you know, somebody who is it drives me nuts. This is slipping like, through the cracks and like visibly slipping and not be like, hey, if you mm-hmm. don't write your shit. Whether you can or you can't, like here's some things that you could do to right your ship. But if you can't right your ship, you're gonna you're gonna sink. Mm. Um, you know, like you can only be in choppy waters for so exactly. long before you get that one tilt that makes you makes the boat flip.
0: And it's like no one is on your side. It's like you're fighting by yourself, and no one is listening. And you're here in a stranger's home, which a lot of times, or even group homes, which a lot of times it feels like you're by yourself and you're battling constantly to be heard, and just to get, you know, things that other kids get. That you're going to school with all these kids who go back home to their families. Mm. And it's like, I remember this one time, it was like, uh, uh, this bullying campaign at our school, grade 12, biology class, and this guy right next to me, we were talking about suicide. And he was like, yo, people who commit suicide are weak. And I got so triggered by that. I'm like, yo, that, Could not sound more like privilege to my ears Mm -hmm. than anything else because I was constantly going back to a home where people were trying to commit suicide on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and I was constantly viewed as like the strong one and I wanted to be that strong one so other kids in care could see that you can be successful. That's why, like, I constantly, even when I'm not stable, I'm not together, I don't show it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was that strong person for other people. So when they needed somebody to, you know, take some of that weight off of them or those energy, someone who they could trust because I was there with them, I could be that person for them if they needed it. Mm -hmm. And so when kids or, like, youth in the group homes would commit try to commit suicide i'm not gonna even like you know sugarcoat. sugarcoat it at all like there were youth who would take a bunch of sleeping pills and would like come to me be like i just took a bunch of sleeping pills and i'm planning on taking more and i'll be there i will take it away from them and i'll sit down and just like dedicate my entire day to them you know drop everything all the homework that i was doing and just be there for them another time there was this one other youth who actually attempted um took you know a bunch of you know co- codeine, cough syrup, Tylenol, alcohol, he was committed, it was done. And found him like one of the youth, I will never forget this day, one of the youth came into my room and uh, came screaming like, yo, so-and-so just tried to commit suicide. And because like we had a really deep connection at that time, they knew that I would be probably the one person who would really be able to save them or help. And so I, me and her uh, ran out of our group home, grabbed a bunch of bicycles, and started running up and down the street, screaming out his name, trying to look for him. We found him at the park with another youth from um, the other group home, because there was two of them, mm-hmm. and uh, she had made him, like, throw up all the medications and pills, and, like, I understand the reason, and this is, like, a whole other story, but, but essentially, I'm just essentially... Uh, I took him back home, and he was trembling. He was just not present. He was dissociating. He was probably going through psychosis and a bunch of stuff. Um, and, like, the ambulance came, and he was freaked out by the ambulance. And I did not sleep at all that night. And, like, I was constantly, you know, I remember sitting on, like, the the stairs with the police officers when they came, and they tried to talk me down. And um was like, yo, don't worry. Um, I don't even remember what the guy was saying, but he was trying to comfort me with what had just happened. All I could think about is, is he safe? And so um, as soon as it hit like 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, I grabbed some water bottles, some sweaters. And I was thinking about grabbing some pillows as well. I don't know why, but I just felt like he needed it. And I went to the hospital as soon as visitation opened um, and I saw him. And it was just like a sight, you know? He was on like the little, you know, paramedic emergency beds because they don't really have real beds like in TV mm-hmm. shows. They just have the things that you get pulled in and in the ambulance and that's what you sleep on.
1: Mm-hmm. And the, he
0: already had gone through the assessments. They like um, vacuumed out his stomach and um, I had just like brought him the water bottles and like the sweater and everything. Like he was shivering, he was thirsty as crap. Um, he needed a pillow because there was no pillows. Just like, I was there, right? and no other staff was there for them, you know? It was me always being what they needed because nobody wanted to really step up to that plate and provide them with what they needed. What they need is real support, real consistency, not just counseling where it's just like, I help you for an hour. It's just like, this is like a commitment that you're trying to invest in these kids to get them to a more stable place because they've been so broken. That's the commitment in which you've tried to make that that you were essentially promising without promising and you didn't fulfill it you made it worse
2: yeah no i am i have a few things to say on what you just said um one of them is i'll just start from like this soonest going back but um when you said when just as you're explaining all the things that you did for this youth i can't name one worker that gets paid to do that that would do yeah. that even half of that and i just think it's really messed up that the ones that are already suffering you know what i mean we and like obviously you're not caring about how it's taking an emotional or mental toll on you this person needs you needs yeah. somebody you know what i mean and if you can be there then you would be there like a decent human being you know what i mean and i just think um you're already going through your own stuff and it's just like why is it up to, like, why is it our, again, this all goes back to, like, the system stuff. But, yeah, why is it our, our our responsibility, the ones that are suffering, to have to take care of each other? And it's not that we have to, but we have to. Nobody else will. You know what I mean? I can't take care, like, Bob's not going to take care of you because Bob doesn't know what you're going through. I know exactly what you're going through. So I obviously want to take care of you, even though I'm struggling because I'm going through the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just think that that's awful. Second... The way you were talking about how a police, you, the police officer, um, was like trying to talk you down and stuff, I was just thinking that um, obviously police in itself is just damaged. But that it's like in the system when you grow, when you're in foster care, group home care, you're kind of taught to get used to them. You know yeah. what I mean? They're kind of forcing if anything happens, call them, or if anything happens, do this. You know what I mean? They're forcing the police are good or are here. To like on you or the they're here to protect type of thing on you, you know what I mean? But they're also damaging you with them at the same time because they call those police for nothing. the same police will be the reason why I I still have cuff marks from I don't know how many times being arrested or detained. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I I have like here like I I still have them like this dark mark like I have them. It's just you know what I mean, but yet anytime something goes wrong, they've conditioned you should call them you know what i mean and meanwhile i'm from where i'm where i'm from so that's not something they can condition me of but like other youth you know what i mean like it's just that's they're they're teaching you call the police yeah you know what i mean most oh, police oh. are gonna be the ones that traumatize you they're gonna be the ones that mess you up and i just it just it just doesn't make sense to me like it just doesn't make sense oh. defund the police Mm-hmm. Yeah, fully.
0: I mean no. Aiden's yeah. No. And he's no. I think no. not abolish the police. But take Defund
1: away. the police fully means abolish the police. <laughs> I
0: know. like For the ones who say abolish the police, I don't agree with. I'm gonna be so real. But the idea of prioritizing, you know, sending paramedics or uh, mental health crisis, people who deal with crisis situations <laughs> for mental health should take a lot more responsibility over that kind of situation than police. I agree with. There's I think so that many... you should
1: just train police properly.
0: I think that there's but so, so the, other But people. it's just like that power dynamic. If you have made it to the end, thank you so much for listening. Please support us by liking and sharing our content and support the youth that come onto our show. So you've just gotten insider information from the outsiders. And we hope in some way you found a home in us. We will see you next time. But until then, take care.